The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. If this is your first time here with us at Canyon Ridge, or hey, maybe it's your first time in a long time, like it kind of is for me, uh, you know, you're coming back. It's a great time to be here. I mean, we're plugging into a lot of new beginnings here at our church. Um, you know, next week, kicking off this new series about being healthy and free in 2015, inviting God to do some new things in our lives to make us healthier, happier, more effective for Him. Uh, and then some community groups right alongside that. Uh, great things to plug into there. And then this week, like Trevor said, we're in the middle of this week of prayer. I think it's great. We've been doing this for a number of years here at Canyon Ridge Church. And uh, we're doing it this year. The first seven days of the year, we set aside those days to seek God and say, God, what, was, what will your will be for me and for our church? And Lord, will you move in this community in 2015? I think it's a great way to do it. And so today for our message today, I wanna dive into this topic of prayer as we are focusing on it this whole week. Because there's something I think I know about you, whether or not I actually know you or whether or not you would say you're a Christian here this morning, I think I know something about you and that there's a good chance that you are a person who prays. Because in fact, prayer is actually a widely popular activity. Gallup summarized 50 years of polling they did and they said consistently, our polls for 50 years have shown nine out of 10 Americans say that they pray. And not only that, their most recent poll they did on prayer, they said that three out of four, 75% of us said, not just that we pray, but we do so every day. And it's not just Christians who pray, it's people of every faith who pray, and even many people who have no particular faith that identify with at all who pray. Some would say that prayer is just this fundamental human activity. There's something in us that makes us want to, need to reach out beyond ourselves. However, there's something unsettling about prayer. I mean, prayer has a great reputation, a great PR guy, perhaps, I don't know. But you know, not only do the vast majority of people practice some form of prayer, but they also speak very highly of it. Ask people about prayer, they will tell you it's important. They will tell you it is meaningful. They will say, without a doubt, this world needs a heck of a lot more prayer, okay? But then our lives say something a little different. So yes, we'll pray. Yes, we'll tell you prayer is a great thing, but don't ask any more questions than that. Or you might find out what my life of prayer actually looks like. It's not something I'm necessarily proud of. Heck, it's not even something that I would wanna pass on to someone else. I would want something better for them than what I currently have in the way that I pray. We say prayer is important. We say that its benefits are numerous, but are we just repeating something that we've been taught? Are we just saying what we wish would be true, what we think might be true for someone, but not really true for us? Because our experiences just seem to tell a different story. Christian author, Philip Yancey set out to write a book on prayer. He said, there's a lot of questions we have about prayer and I wanna dive into them some more. And so he did and he, in the research for his book, he said, one of the things I wanna know is I wanna just talk to ordinary people who pray, lots of them, and find out what their experience is like. 
In doing so, he said this. He said, typically the results went like this. Is prayer important to you? Oh, yes. How often do you pray? Every day. Approximately how long? Five minutes? Well, maybe seven. Do you find prayer satisfying? Not really. Do you sense the presence of God when you pray? Occasionally, not often. And he goes on and says, many of those I talk to experience prayer more as a burden than as a pleasure. They regarded it as important, even paramount, and they felt guilty about their failure, blaming themselves. His publisher also conducted a poll on their website and found out out of 678 people who responded, only 23 of them felt satisfied of the amount of time they spent in prayer. That's 3%. So the word on the street about prayer seems to be pretty great, but also pretty different than what people experience when it actually comes down to their lives. Maybe everyone else has a great prayer life. It's just me who struggles. Or maybe everyone else struggles just like I do. And if so, then I've got a bigger problem because that means that's just how prayer is. Prayer is this struggle. Maybe it's not all I thought it would be. Or there's another option. Maybe prayer isn't as good as I thought because it's even better than I hoped, but I've been looking in the wrong place. Wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't you want to know that not only is there an answer for why your prayer life hasn't been everything it's cracked up to be, but that your prayer life could be even better than you'd imagined? Wouldn't that be important information? I mean, think of it this way. What if you trained your whole life for the Olympic Games and you were going to compete and your goal was the highest goal imaginable? You were going to win Olympic silver. Shouldn't someone tell you there's a such thing as Olympic gold? Wouldn't that be an important piece of information? I have a bold claim to make this morning. And I'll say right from the start, some of you are not going to believe this. Others of you may kind of believe it, but you're not going to believe it enough to, you know, apply it, benefit from it, you know, really take it home with you. But still, others may seriously put this claim to the test. Go ahead, put it to the test, try it out, and find out for themselves that it can change their lives. So you ready for this? My claim is this. There is something better out there than answered prayers. There's something better out there available to you through prayer than answers. Now, I told you some people won't believe this. I mean, some of us, a lot of us, maybe most of us, some of us pray because we believe this simple phrase, three words, God answers prayers. That is why we pray. And you know, I would not be a pastor here at this church for long if I didn't believe that myself. God does answer prayers. He absolutely does. In his word, he tells us, ask him for what we need. And he makes some of his old his own bold promises about how he will answer from heaven. So I'm not saying God doesn't answer prayers, 
or even that we should be shy in any way about asking him to do so. But what I am saying is that there's something better available to us through prayer than answers. Crazy, I know. It's crazy, but since I'm going crazy, let me jump off the deep end. Even if God answered not just some of our prayer requests, but every single one of our requests for healing, for getting us through this financial situation, for making this relationship work, for helping us do well on this test that we never even studied for. Even if God answered every single one of these types of requests on a regular, predictable basis, there would still be something better than that available to us through prayer. What is it? (laughs) Right? What is it? Simply stated, the greatest thing we could ever seek in prayer is a deeper relationship with God himself. Now, if you're the note-taking type or you'd like to pretend to be one just for one day, that's what you need to write down. The greatest thing we could ever seek in prayer is a relationship with God himself. Now, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that, sure. But before I do, ask yourself this question, how does that statement strike you? Does it sit well with you? Do you just instantly agree with that because we're in church and I'm up front and I said it and I have a microphone and it sounds kind of churchy and it's good? So just, you know, sink right in. Or are you unsure about that claim? Because maybe, maybe you've got a great story about some amazing miracle that God did when you asked him for something and he granted you a miracle. And to you, that seems like the greatest thing you could imagine that could come from prayer. Or maybe, maybe you're just disappointed to hear that answer. You're like tracking with me, right? Yeah, prayer is frustrating. Yeah, it should be better. Yes, I would like to know if there's a better way to pray. And then, oh, relationship, really? I've heard something like that before. Maybe you have. But if you're one who follows Christ, there's something I think many of us forget. Something maybe some of us haven't really taught. We haven't really had this sink in. It's this, that God himself is the biggest prize. I don't know how to use the perfect words to describe this. You might use different ones, but God himself is the biggest gift. He is the biggest reward. He is the biggest blessing. However you best grasp that concept, the point still remains the same. Out of all the things we could ever want, all we could ever need, all we could ever desire, God himself is the highest source of fulfillment. You know, you may have heard some people kind of offhandedly describe the Christian faith this way, you know, that, well, you know, I love Jesus, so that's my get out of hell free card, you know, or, or maybe a little bit nicer of a way of saying that is, you know, that, that's my ticket to heaven, right? When people say that, they're kind of saying, you know, if I could sum up the reason I'm a Christian or the reason I put my faith in Jesus is because I want to avoid hell. That's the biggest thing. Or I want to get into heaven as if that were the biggest thing. And sure, you can look up in the Bible and you'll find amazing pictures of what heaven is like. You know, streets paved with gold, no more sorrow, no sadness, no death. And yeah, that sounds like a pretty 
amazing reward. That's like something that's worth living for. That's something worth sacrificing for. That's something worth dying for on this side of eternity. But even with heaven, the Bible's clear. Heaven is only heaven because it's where God is. He is its center. He is its light. He is its source. God is the prize. God is the reward. God is the blessing. The fact that all of heaven's citizens will have access to God in an unprecedented and ever-deepening way, that's what makes heaven, heaven. And I think many of us who pray, well, we, we forget that. We forget that the prize we're actually striving toward for our whole lifetime is actually a relationship, an ever-deepening ever more personal relationship with God himself. We forget that what we're striving for, yes, is, uh, we forget what we're striving for, but we also forget that this deepening relationship with Christ, with our creator, is meant to actually be a constant part of our lives right now. That it starts here. And when we lose sight of that, we can easily neglect to make that relationship a priority in our prayers. Or maybe we've all heard this before, you know, maybe you're like, yeah, I've heard it before, but I still just don't believe it. I, I get it, you know, you talk all you want, but you're still not gonna convince me, you know? Prayer is just people crying out to God and God deciding whether or not he's gonna answer. Maybe you're just gonna believe that way anyway. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, hopefully I can you know, use the word of God to help convince you a little bit. Uh, I'd like to look at what Jesus has to say about these topics. Um, First off, we'll look at something that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six, if you wanna turn there. Uh, Here, the setting is that Jesus is sitting on a hillside and he's teaching anyone who wants to come. He's just kind of teaching them one subject after another after another about what God's kingdom is like. And then he comes to the subject of worry starting off with this impossible commandment. Do not worry about your lives. Okay, all right. Anything that follows that's gonna be great. Uh, do not worry about your lives. And, you know, one side of things you might say, well, this isn't a, you're not a teaching here on prayer, but don't we pray because we worry? Don't we pray because we worry about our lives? Matter of fact, if you have ever been very content and very not worried about your life, you've probably noticed that you stop praying quite as much. And so I think what he has to say here will actually tie in quite directly. So after he gives this impossible commandment, do not worry about your lives, he goes on and we'll read what he says starting at verse 31. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, there are other passages in the Bible that talk about worry as well, and they even specifically draw us right into prayer. They say, instead of worrying, pray. But I wanna look at what Jesus does here and what he doesn't do here. One thing you'll notice is he doesn't minimize the importance of the things we need, of food, of clothing, of just being provided for. 
But what he does do is he tells us to change the focus. Instead of us obsessing over our needs, which God already fully knows, and it's interesting that God doesn't call them, oh, your needs are actually just little wants. No, he says, God knows you need them. He acknowledges it. Those are necessary for your life. But instead of us focusing so much on those, Jesus says, our task is to shift the focus on being a part of what God is doing. In fact, his challenge to us seems to be that our connection to him should eclipse our focus on our daily needs. Now, notice something else here, though, is that God is not saying, don't tell me about your life. Don't tell me about your needs. I'm not concerned about that. I'm not, you know, worried about that stuff. He doesn't say those things. Instead, he says, I am freeing you from that. When we put the relationship first, then he says, I've got a promise for you. The needs of your daily life, those will be met as well. It's like he's saying to us, all right, folks, I know there's a lot going on out there, but shoot for the gold medal. Shoot for the gold medal. I promise you, you will not miss out on any of the benefits that those silver medalists get. You'll get both. But there's no promises that he gives to those that are shooting for that lesser goal, for that silver medal, the lesser goal of just getting your needs met. There's no promise there. So if you shoot for that, you may just get neither. One more place I want us to look is in the book of John, chapter 15. How important is this relationship thing to Jesus? Well, we can get an idea right here. Um, I've found in my, uh, my own learning and my own teaching um, that I've been prepared, you know, when I prepare for teachings, that I come back to this passage over and over and over again. Um, this time in Jesus' life, the night before he was to be crucified, he knew it was coming. And he knew that these were his last moments with those he loved so closely and so dearly. And so he knew that, you know, maybe there were hundreds and hundreds of other teachings that he gave to his disciples and well, you know, they kind of didn't bring a pencil or whatever. And so they didn't take notes or they were forgetful and they forgot what he taught. But he knew that this night they'd be paying attention. This night, those things would get written down and they'd be passed on to us. And so he took his focus on that night very carefully speaking of only the, the most important things that he wanted to leave his disciples with and have passed on to you and me. He spoke of the Father. He spoke of the Holy Spirit. He spoke of and demonstrated the vital importance of sacrificial love. He comforted his disciples and he prepared them for what was to come. He prayed for unity and he gave them one last word picture, showing them how it all works. And so we'll jump into the middle of this, starting at chapter 15, verse five. And Jesus told them, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Okay, so let's pause right there for a second. We'll, we'll read a little bit more, but if we had just those two sentences alone, we would have enough to understand what Jesus was trying to emphasize, right? I mean, the picture he paints here is pretty clear. 
This is absolutely fundamental to everything else he would have his followers understand. A branch cannot survive without the vine. He says it there. You can't do anything without me. You've got to be plugged in. This has got to happen. You and I need to be connected. And not just one way either. You and me and I in you. That's the secret. That is the baseline from which all other good things can happen. I mean, every branch wants to be great, right? Every branch would prefer to be, you know, strong, alive, not withered, not dead, you know, and bearing the best possible fruit it can. And Jesus addresses all of this in just two sentences and says, yes, I get it. I would prefer for you to be strong and alive and fruitful as well. You wanna know where the source of that comes from? Relationship with me, connection with me. Everything comes from there. But you know what? This topic wasn't, was important enough to Jesus that he didn't just speak about it for just two sentences. I mean, his full teaching on this one metaphor takes up half a chapter. And in that half a chapter, Jesus will instruct or encourage his disciples, not once, not twice, not five times, but eight times to remain in him. Eight times in a teaching that probably took him only a few minutes. Eight times Jesus said, remain in me, remain in my love, remain in the vine, remain, stay connected, allow me to be connected to you. Where else does Jesus teach the same thing eight times in a row. If you can find a place, then you should listen to that one too. But I think it's safe to say that this connection, this relationship is of utmost importance to God. Now, just like the previous passage we looked at, Jesus isn't just talking about prayer here. In fact, he tells us we will remain in him by keeping his commands. So he's not just talking about the portion of our lives that we might set aside for prayer, but he's talking about the whole of our lives that we will spend doing everything. Everything we do is meant to flow from that relationship with Jesus. But the connection comes first. And the good stuff, the strength, the vitality, the fruit, that comes as a result. And even though Jesus didn't specifically narrow down his whole teaching down to just prayer, he does tie it in. He talks about prayer right after he gives these sentences. Look what he says in verse seven. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, however bold you think my claim was earlier, Jesus takes the cake here. <laughs> This is one of the most bold promises made in the Bible. This is one of those mysteries I wish I could explain better than I can because honestly, it looks like Jesus just said, hey guys, ask for whatever you want. I'm God, I'll take care of it for you. And not only that, if we continue to read the verses that follow, it looks like he says, oh, and I will like doing this. It will bring glory to God. It'll show the world that you belong to God and that God loves you. It looks like Jesus just promised us anything we want. But let's stop for just a second and reread what's actually there. 
Because the promise starts with if. If we get it. If we have the relationship first and our life is commingled with his. Not just if we know that the relationship should be first, but Jesus says, if this is actually happening, if you are remaining in me and my words are flowing through your veins because our relationship is real and active, if we're in sync, then ask away. Watch God do what only God can do. The relationship itself far outweighs the value of any answered prayer. I don't think it's too difficult for us to understand this in our minds, you know, this idea that the relationship is the source from which everything else flows. I mean, it makes sense if we stop and think about it. But ask yourself this question now. Look at your prayers and ask the question, what is the primary goal of most of the prayers you pray? I mean, I'm up here on the stage today and I'll say, I'll admit it, I pray a lot of prayers because I want God to hear my request and provide me an answer. <laughs> That's why I pray. And usually not just any answer. I've already got a pre-packaged, ready to go. I already know what you need to give me, God, so just do it, okay? That or something better is okay. Uh, I've usually got that ready to go. And so I still pray too often without even trying to connect, without even trying to build that relationship with God, without trying to listen, without trying to give him any place. And he's teaching me to change that though. How about you? Ask yourself today, what is the primary goal of most of the prayers that you pray? What if you answered that question for yourself and you could see that your prayers are usually about just getting an answer, getting a response from God. I mean, you know, there are prayers about meeting needs, yes, so they are important, and, and, but you still realize that, yeah, I identify with that. Prayer is not so satisfying. Prayer is frustrating. It's inconsistent. It doesn't always work. What if you see that in your life and you want something better? What if you wanted to shoot for the gold medal instead of the silver? Where would you start? Today, I wanna to share with you two decisions you can make that are fundamental to putting the relationship first in your prayer life. If you wanna start from the ground up, I believe these two choices are the first two you'll need to make. First of all, commit regular prayer time with God. Commit to regular prayer time with God. And I know some of you who've been around a while probably still waiting for the, the earth-shattering, surprising new information about prayer to come. Because this just doesn't sound very, you know, new. Commit to regular prayer time? Come on, I've heard that thousands of times. Well, maybe, but how many times do you need to hear it? Let me ask you this question. How does your prayer life look? See, I'm a person who can, I can tell you, I've thought prayer is important more than I've made prayer important in my life. I guarantee you that is true. So I don't think we should dismiss this task too lightly, this choice. If I could only keep three words out of this phrase, it would be these three. Commit, regular 
time. You know, there's many of us, I think, who would say, you know, we get it. Prayer is supposed to be about relationship. But then, stunningly, we look at our prayer lives and find out they are rather empty of something that every good relationship needs. Commitment to regular time together. And I notice I didn't say commitment to a regular time together. I mean, that's one way to go about it. Um, if your schedule works that way, it might be even the recommended way to go about it. But any good relationship has this vital component, that we spend time together, that we spend time together regularly. And as a matter of fact, that we do this not just because it just happens that we do this. No, we make it happen. We are committed to it for the sake of the relationship. This is true in our relationships with other people and is true in our relationship with God. But if your goal is first and foremost about what answers you'll get from God, I promise you, your prayers will be irregular. And they probably won't require much time or much commitment from you, which is actually why we like those kinds of prayers. They're very easy. (laughs) But think about it. Prayer that is solely focused on answers is built from the very beginning to be irregular prayer. What happens when your prayer is answered? Well, we stop praying. What happens when you pray and 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 your prayer is not answered? Eventually, you stop praying. So answer or no, we've got a reason to cut off the communication. It's built into that type of prayer from the very beginning. But if building a deeper relationship is the primary goal, then committing to regular time with God is critical to making that possible. We won't just let it happen, and I guarantee you, you won't wake up one morning and find out that it happened. (laughs) We have to make it happen. And it starts with a commitment. It starts with a decision that God will regularly get some of your most valuable resource. Not a hope that he will, doesn't start it there, not with an aspiration, not with a future goal, but a decision. God gets my time every day so that we can connect. Make it doable. You don't have to give God the two hours you don't have. It could be the 10 minutes of good quality time that will really be his that you do have. And it can even vary with your schedule. Some people have more time on one day than they do on another. God understands all of that. But what it can't be is left a chance. What it can't be is just based on whether or not I feel like it today. It can't be something we really do only when life forces us into the position where prayer seems like our last option. It has to start with a commitment to regular time with God. It is first important that we pray, and it is then important how we pray. So first, commit regular time. And second, make prayer a space for a two-way conversation. Make prayer a space for a two-way conversation. And again, if you've been around a while, you've probably heard this one, you know, something like this. Make sure you don't do all the talking in your prayers. Make sure you listen as well, right? I mean, it's actually great advice, but 
how is the question. That's the hard part. How can we listen in our prayers? I mean, because I don't know about you, but I don't just hear God's voice shaking the earth, this big booming, you know, hurting my ears kind of noise. Anytime I just say, hey God, so what's going on today? You know, that doesn't happen to me. And to me, actually my experience often seems like this. It seems like I start deciding I'm gonna pray. I say some things to God, God's pretty quiet. And I say amen when I'm done. So where does the listening in that fit? How, how, do, I, how do I make that work? I've found two ways to do so. And the first one is probably the most obvious, uh, but it's also the one people give up on the most. Uh, the first way is just to be quiet myself and to be open to God guiding my thoughts. This is literally leaving space, stopping my voice from dominating our conversation and telling God, God, I'm open to receive from you if you will speak to me. So here's the honest truth about, what this, about this though, that I will tell you and anyone who has been down the road of prayer for a long time and has found all these you know, amazing depths and wonders and everything about prayer, if they're honest with you, they'll tell you this about it though, that many times, even perhaps the majority of times, when we leave space open for God, he will still be silent. And why? We don't know. We don't know. It could be thousands of reasons beyond our understanding, maybe some that we could understand, but the fact of the matter is that God speaks in ways and times of his choosing. There is no magic formula for if you do this, God will definitely speak to you in this way at this time. There is no magic formula for that. And so that silence frustrates so many people who pray that they give up on giving God that opportunity. Did you get that? That God's silence, as if he didn't have the right to his own silence, that God's silence the fact that we can't control him and we can't force him into a certain model, that frustrates so many people that they stop giving him the opportunity to speak into their silence. And then their prayers revert back to the default version, the my voice only, one-sided voice, one-sided version of prayers that they once were. And they miss out on the other side of that silence because there is another side. For those that wait on the Lord, there is another side to the silence where God speaks into it deeply, personally, where his Holy Spirit reminds us of what God has taught us, where his Holy Spirit brings the literal presence of God in us and through us, where he provides the wisdom we need for the future and the comfort we need for today. And we'll never see that if we don't give him the opportunity. There's a second way to make prayer a space 
for a two-way conversation. And that's simply that we pray about both sides of the relationship. Remember how Jesus described it? He said, it wasn't enough just for us to remain in him, but that he and his words would also remain in us. Too many of our prayers are filled with just our words, our voice. We lift our voices to God and we let him know where we're at. We let him know what we need, what we want, where we're struggling. We, we want our voice to move God's hand. We want our voice to stir him to action, to get his response. And then we hang up and call back another time with another message. <laughs> and you know, that's almost like what it's like. It's not really like a phone call. It's like we're calling God and leaving a voicemail, you know? I don't expect anything back from you. I don't wanna give you any chance to respond. I just hope someday you're gonna check these messages, maybe get back to me. But Jesus desired that his words, his voice would remain in us. And so when we pray, sure, yeah, we bring our own voices to our prayers. And I don't think we would ever be successful if we tried to leave them behind. But we also always need to give God a voice in our prayers. We pray for his priorities. We pray for his will to be done in our lives. We ask him to change our hearts, to be more in line with him. We actually use our prayer time to explore what seeking his kingdom first looks like because we know that's what he's about. We ask him about that and we explore that in our prayers. We give voice to his priorities and we ask him to help us make his priorities our own. And so even though it may seem to us from our perspective that one person sets out to pray, which that's not how it's happening. Trust me, God's busy before you are but it may seem like one person sets out to pray. Right from the beginning, that prayer time is built to have God's voice speaking into it. Right alongside our own. And if we look at the greatest models that we have in the Bible about how to pray, I mean, we have the, the Lord's Prayer where Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We have the Psalms, his book of prayers inspired by the Holy Spirit. We look at those models, we'll see that they are models where the prayer prays with both voices. They pray for the will of God and for the needs of the person praying. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus starts off, starts off by saying, God, first I want your voice to speak. I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in the Psalms, if you read the Psalms, it's amazing. Sometimes it seems like the, the person writing them is wrestling with two voices going back and forth and back and forth. On the one hand, he's bringing the honest truth about, God, this is my life. I don't know where you are. I don't know how things are going. I don't know what you want from me. Please help, please provide. And then on the other side, he's saying, God, but I know you're comforting me. I know you have a will for me. I know you want me to build trust with you and I will trust in you and I will submit to you. He's praying both voices of that conversation back and forth. It won't happen automatically. But if we invite God to speak into our silence, and if we intentionally include God's voice in our prayers, then we can begin to make prayer a space for a two-way conversation. God answers prayers. There's something far greater 
about prayer than getting answers. The greatest thing we could ever seek in prayer is a deeper relationship with God himself. But to do that, it's probably gonna take a different kind of prayer life. One that's committed, one that's regular, and one with a lot more of God's voice in it than we might be used to. But get this, get this. If we'll do this, if we will put our relationship with God as the primary goal of our interaction with God, then we'll accomplish something that before we might never have thought even possible. We will be able to say that we have learned and that we know it is possible that prayer can work every time. Because every time you put God first, every time we give him voice in our lives, every time we set aside our priorities to make him the priority, it accomplishes the highest goal. It builds the relationship deeper. It works. In fact, the Bible even promises it. James 4, 8 says it simply. Come close to God and God will come close to you.